let's introduce the pod. I'm down for your listicles. Oh, we have to introduce a podcast? Introduce. Do people really want to know who we are? Do you I don't know. Think? That's maybe not. <laughs> I think maybe they do. What's up? I'm Deanna. the best thing that you've ever done <laughs> <laughs> that oh. laughing loon over there that's <laughs> hannah oh and we're man. two weirdos who do a podcast about women called good witches bad bitches welcome this is an episode of that podcast yeah hope you're strapped in <laughs> i think this is a good uh example of like just how weird we are mm-hmm. we are not a straightforward let's tell you about ladies this particular lady podcast we tell each other about women and there's yeah. some cursing we and always surprise each other with who we're going to talk about Yep. Which makes it all the more exciting. Yep. It's very fun. And uh, yeah. Sometimes lot, we get mad. Did you say sometimes there's cursing? Because I feel like there's a lot of cursing. Okay. There's a lot of We're cursing. We're foul-mouthed, unapologetic, well, sometimes apologetic, mostly unapologetic feminist women who just want to talk about women and the things they've done, good yeah. and bad. Yeah. And we are um, trans-inclusive when we say women, mm-hmm. not just white ladies through history white cis ladies anybody who has ever identified again calling back to lizzo if you feel like a girl then you're real like a girl and that is our creed that is our creed um i'm gonna open uh today with something irreverent please do um and i i haven't even really read it all the way through so let's do it um i am personally obsessed with a lot of these buzzfeed listicles that are um culturally based like there are ones where it's like British people do blah blah and this is how people who are non-British respond to it I like it and Americans and Australians I think it's very uh, English speaking centric on BuzzFeed but yeah um, this one is 26 questions about drinking the world desperately wants Americans to answer (laughs) same still feeling a little I've got I've still like I've got the itis um do Americans really just go to bars and drink like six shots of whiskey and call it a night? That's how Americans drink on TV and it's weird as fuck. <laughs> All right. I mean, that's not wrong. Why do Americans in TV shows have bottles of water sitting in their fridge? Uh, I don't, I don't know. understand that question. Is it? Is they it mean like, more- uh, like tons of plastic <laughs> water bottles? That- yeah. Is it more a comment about the way Americans drink water? And how fucking weird it is that Americans drink so much bottled water. Because I agree that that's weird. Do Americans really drink alcohol out of bottles wrapped in paper bags? Or is that a TV myth? No, that's true. At least uh, I in mean, New York. I mean, it's true if you want to drink <laughs> the in train. public. Yeah. Because <laughs> you have to. It, it's really weird that you have to, like, bag alcohol in paper bags or whatever. You can't, like, you have to be secret mm-hmm. about purchasing alcohol. You can't advertise that you bought alcohol for some weird Puritan reason, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Um. But yeah, no, if you want to, it's illegal to drink in public. So if you want to drink alcohol in public, unless you're in New Orleans or downtown Savannah, Georgia, or Vegas. Vegas, Yep. uh, Yeah, you you drink out of a paper bag. It's really not, it's a very uh, unsubtle, coded way to be like, I'm drinking booze. Yeah, but you just can't see the label. Exactly. You can still get in trouble for it, though. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Here, why do Americans in movies or TV shows drink coffee with their cereal? Who does that? You mean just coffee for breakfast? Yeah. Because <laughs> coffee is a breakfast beverage? I guess. I don't really eat cereal for breakfast anymore. No. I'll eat it as a snack. It's. I mean, cereal these days is so loaded up with sugar, it's mm. more like dessert for me. Because mm-hmm. I love Reese's Puffs. That's like the only cereal I actually like oh, anymore. Puffs it's so, so fucking good. good. And it, the thing is, Ugh. so Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are fucking delicious. Yes. 
they are not vegan. No. And all vegan peanut butter cup options, they're good, but they're not quite Reese's. Right. So I can get my Reese's flavor fix with Reese's Puffs and Reese's Oreos. Wait, are Reese's Puffs vegan? Yes. <gasps> oh, my God. So it's that same flavor. Oh, that shit. nostalgic flavor. And I can get it. But the, the Oreos are bananas. I, I think they were special they were. edition. I don't know. They were while I was in Savannah is when I bought a bunch of them because they tasted exactly like fucking Reese's peanut butter cups surrounded by Oreo cookies. And I was like, <laughs> if anyone knows where to buy these, please let me know, because I've never seen them and I am oh, going so to die. Good. They're so good. Uh, OK. Do Americans really do as many shots as they seem to on TV? Like straight up spirits, no mixer. Are they OK? <laughs> Well, yes. I mean, yes, we do. And we're not OK. No, we're not. Have you seen what's going on in our country right now? <laughs> this uh, I mean, that's what I did on my birthday this year. I did a lot of whiskey shots Ooh, and then drank a bunch kind. of beer. I don't know. But I'm very um, uh, Anglo-Saxon in my DNA makeup plus German. So beer and whiskey. It makes sense to yeah, me. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's all right. Hey, do Americans drink really large coffees in real life or is it just on TV? Oh, we do. In real life. We're all workaholics for bullshit reasons also, and we need giant coffees to get through I our fucking I had so days. much coffee this morning. Hey, you do you. I had a lot of coffee yesterday and then I crashed really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing, guys. It's a thing. Do Americans actually drink milk with their dinner? Is that just a TV thing? <laughs> No, it's real. Uh, it's it's a Midwestern thing. My yeah. Michiganian family does it. I used to do it when I would go visit them. I'm horrified by it now, but they still do it. Yeah. It's very weird. It's a weird Midwestern American thing. Well, it's like, I think actually, fuck, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but there was a podcast that talked about that and how um, the dairy industry sort of created a lot of propaganda about drinking milk and how it was supposed to obviously we've seen the got milk ads like we know there was this idea that dairy lobby is yeah make your bones grow blah 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 and so we got this idea in our dna doesn't yeah we got this idea in our dna like our cultural dna of Mm. like you have to drink milk for strong bones none of us really ever got the memo that that was purely propaganda Mm -hmm. um yes milk does have calcium in it but it's a very particular type of calcium that actually needs um like uh, it leaches calcium from our bones so that we can digest it properly The the protein in milk leaches calcium from our bones so that we can digest it yeah it doesn't contribute that's why this is my vegan propaganda moment (laughs) but that's why countries with the highest consumption of dairy have the highest rates of osteoporosis Ah. if dairy consumption led to strong bones that would absolutely not be the case god because we drink so much milk in this country and eat so much cheese yeah yeah delicious but come on it's just bust out of that 90s idea yeah like, it's, drink yeah. milk if you want to drink milk, but don't, like, kid yourself that it's as good for you as we were taught when we were kids. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Wait, do Americans really drink raw eggs? What the fuck? What? What, is, what kind of question is that? It's like a bodybuilder thing, I think. Yeah. I have no idea why. That must, yeah, they must have watched an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie one too many times and then decided that was an American thing. Yeah, who knows? I don't fucking know. This person also said, I'm watching Mad Men. I don't know. Okay, maybe John Hamm did it. This question I agree with. Why do Americans love light beer so much? I don't think anyone drinks light beer, anyone else in the world. Light beer. It's because we're calorie obsessed. Is that what it is? Like, is it a calorie thing? I think so. Ugh. It just tastes watery. Yeah, it tastes like water. It's also like barely alcoholic so why are you just drinking sugar water that won't even get you drunk (laughs) (laughs) right it doesn't taste good so you're not drinking it for the taste there's no alcohol so you're not drinking it for the alcohol so why are you drinking it like soda drinkers who become adults you know Mm, what i mean you need something that's not water yeah to drink like you want to drink alcohol i don't know i don't know light beer is stupid Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? 
Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively oh, yeah. for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Do you want to tell me about a lady? I do. Tell me about a lady. So I picked this person because I believe my episode is going to be the last episode technically of Latinx slash Hispanic Heritage Month. And I think she's a good, really good end cap. In fact, probably the perfect end cap. Oh. Considering that Latinx Hispanic Heritage Month is um, September 15th through October 15th because of Mexican independence. Right. And that's really the centerpiece of the story. Oh, okay. So um, I'm going to talk to you today about Leona Vicario, otherwise known as the mother of Mexican independence. Oh, shit. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I, I still kind of had a hard time finding information about her. So I wanted to start off Leona's story with a quote that is attributed to her. Yes. She said, it is not love alone that the term, that, hmm? it is not love alone that determines the actions of women. The desire for the glory and liberty of their homeland are sentiments not unknown to them. And I feel like, I, I really appreciate that because, you know, Women, too, can feel things about the pride of their nation. Right. And we are also patriotic and capable of doing things outside of, like, being obsessed with men. Yeah. Which I think also harkens back to Carmen Contreras-Bozak, who opened yes. Latinx Hispanic Heritage Month. Yep. Because um, she's like, hey, we can be patriotic, too. Yeah. She was a true patriot. I mean, like, to the bottom of her heart, she yeah. was super patriotic. Yeah. So... Um, some of my sources this week are encyclopedia.com and girlboss.com, which okay. was a new one for me. But between the two, they had the best info. And then um, chapala.com, which is more like a personal blog, but they had a lot of really great info. So as the most prominent female figure in Mexico's war for independence waged from 1810 to 1821, Leona Vicario is regarded as the distinguished and beloved mother of the homeland. Ooh. A title officially anointed to her by the Mexican Congress of the Union in 1842. In 1910, Leona Vicario and Josefa Ortiz de Dominguez were the first Mexican women to be depicted on the Mexican uh, on Mexican postal stamps. Ooh. Yeah. Mexico honored her in 2009 by issuing a five peso coin with her image in anticipation of the bicentennial. But who was she? And why all this acclaim? I think it, what, the other thing that was interesting about the Girl Boss article is they talked about how Mexico has a tendency to honor its female revolutionaries a lot more than, like, the United States. And the United States has female revolutionaries from, like, the Revolutionary War and the oh, yeah. Civil War, oh, yeah. you know, they exist and we'll talk about them. So it's it's interesting um, to read about some of these women because we know so much about them because their countries honored them. So, yeah. Putting them on money. We still don't uh -huh. have any women on our money. Except for Susan B. Anthony's that-ish. Okay, I'm sorry. We have Sacagawea on that gold coin and Susan B. Anthony on another coin. And Sacagawea was like, a half-assed. It none of it's right. it's not real, right? I mean, nobody uses those coins. No, is what I'm saying. They're not Correct. in. Per, they're not in use. Correct. Which is why I'm really excited to take fucking Andrew Jackson off the goddamn twenty dollar bill and put Harriet Tubman on there because fuck that guy. Yep. Yep. Hundred percent. And I couldn't believe that they were um, 
going to be more apt to take uh, Hamilton off the 10 and put Harriet Tubman on the 10. And then Hamilton the musical happened. And now people know Alexander Hamilton and his contribution to the country more, mm-hmm. which, you know, for whatever issues he had. And he did have them. Sure. Um, you know, Jackson was just a fucking monster. So there's no reason to have him on the money at all. Trump loves Andrew Jackson. Of course, monsters tend to love other monsters. As the daughter of a wealthy, self-made peninsular, a.k.a. Spanish-born man, once a very poor Spanish immigrant who traveled to New Spain slash Mexico to seek a a better life um, several years before, and a... So he traveled from Spain? Yes. So he was an, uh, a Spanish immigrant to Mexico. Correct. Okay. And um, and he's na- and he was now, once when he had her, he was a very wealthy merchant who had, like, managed to, you know... Pull himself up by his bootstraps, which himself. means nothing, according to your tweet. Yeah, yeah. It, it does mean nothing, but that's... Is that where that came from? Is that what behooved your tweet? Uh, no. Oh. Somebody, somebody mentioned it on Twitter. Sorry. We'll have to probably cut this. But somebody somebody said it on Twitter that was like, people just need to learn how to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And it's like, do people not realize that the phrase pull yourself up by your bootstraps came from the idea that it is impossible to pull yourself up out of mud, basically, from your bootstraps? It's like pulling yourself up by your hair. Like, it comes from a, a short story that is, it uses that phrase specifically to be ridiculous oh i didn't know that and it is not actually intended to be a positive so her mother was a criollo born in mexico but she was of spanish heritage so she was basically white um her mother and her father yes and and so leona was also white but her mother was was mexican by you know birth Birth. basically Mm -hmm. um so she had significant social standing in New Spain slash Mexico's racist caste system that was forcefully imposed on it by the Spanish. Of course it was. Yes. And they were... Colonizers loved doing that. Right. They were part of the Spanish government still at this time. Mm-hmm. So the 16th century Spaniards, along with their overlords in the Roman Catholic Church, were so obsessed with race that they apparently produced posters commissioned by artists to describe the 16 official, quote, racial mixtures, along with their legal statuses. Whoa. I did not know that. That's disgusting. Insane. Because of Leona's parentage, she was publicly acknowledged as being at the top of the food chain. It made her virtually untouchable when it came to capital crimes, along with a treasure trove of social privileges. Wow, amazing how uh, it's the same now. Uh-huh. But we'd like to pretend it's not. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, in addition, her case to, uh, status guaranteed her an extensive education, mm. kind of similar, I think, to our person last week, who was born a little bit more privileged and had access to... An education. She was very white presenting too. If you look at photos of her, I don't know if she, if, she, if they didn't really talk about her parentage in that way, but right. she was affluent and had very pale skin, and advocated for the rights of indigenous Peruvians. So clearly, you know, yeah, yeah. I think that there are there are clearly um, benefits to that, as you will see throughout the rest of this this person's uh, story. Yeah, using your position of privilege to speak for the underprivileged is important yes 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 ding 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 so as an only child leona's parents lavished their attention on her and her schooling she learned to speak and write with grace and eloquence and to paint and to sketch she learned music uh she learned things women were it was important for women to know at this time yes ma'am especially women of of, uh affluence Uh uh-huh yep and status yep Uh, She learned French well enough to try her hand at translating into Spanish one of the great works of the early French Enlightenment, Archbishop Fenelon's The Adventures of Telemachus. What distinguished Leona from most young women of her social class was her interest in serious literature, as shown by her reading of Fenelon. Uh, She also read the works of the 18th 18th century Spanish polymath, Friar Feijo which is of interest as he was a champion of both women's education and the criollos of America. 
It disturbed him that criollos were systematically excluded from all but the lower to middling positions in the Spanish colonial government. So he was disturbed that people born in Mexico but still of Spanish heritage were excluded from positions in Spanish government. Yeah, that's a weird, it's a weird line because you're not technically being racist, but you're it's You're starting. still excluding people based off of their the circumstances of their birth, and mm-hmm. that is alone the factor. Right. Because they're European descent. Yep. Yeah. And I won't get into, I have no idea how he felt about it, the indigenous populations, but that was how he felt. But at the very least, he was like, these white folk who were <laughs> born in Mexico... They're still white, everybody. We at the should very give least, them. at the bare minimum. Uh-huh. I, that's exactly it. That's exactly right. So it's like, oh, you. It's like the colonial settlers in America. It's like you're not English, right? <laughs> like, yeah, but I'm still white. Like, um, <laughs> what? I sh- like, according to you and what you you're hold dear, because you were born in the colonies. Mm-hmm. So from Fenelon, Vicario learned that in governing. Those who rule should avoid absolutism, war, luxury, adulation, and corruption. Oh, those are all things our president loves. <laughs> and they were all things that the Spanish colonial government and the Spanish government oh, yeah. at the time 100%. Loved. Uh, he, all, he, all European colonial powers loved that shit. Yes. <laughs> and and she, so she started to get a sense that like, oh... These things are happening. I'm reading about them. And this guy has some really compelling ideas for what that means. And she was Criollo. And her mother is Criollo. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. So he said rulers should keep taxes low um, and always be mindful of the public good. Okay. So Le- Leona, like other educated criollos was aware that Spanish absolutism had increased rather than diminished since the start of the French Revolution. In addition, luxury, adulation, and corruption were pervasive in the Spanish court. And to pay for Spain's wars against France and England, by 1808, taxes and forced loans were at a very high levels in the Spanish colonies. (laughs) This sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So turns out colonists don't like to pay for the wars of their <laughs> their governing countries what? when they have nothing to do with it. What? Being taxed, overtaxed and and not represented in government? Mhm. Taxation without representation. Yes, ma'am. Spot on. Thanks. You're welcome. So she was 18 when both of her parents actually died in 1807. Oh, no. And by Spanish law, she was assigned to the custody of her maternal uncle and eventual eventual legal guardian, Agustin Pomposo Fernandez de San Salvador. He was a Mexico City attorney and a criollo by birth, um, aware of her independent nature, but... <laughs> Also, Cute. her Cute need euphemism. for protection. Yeah. Also, her need for protection as an upper class woman now without her family. Right. He arranged to rent a mansion for her in which he and his family occupied a separate wing. Can someone do that for me? <laughs> yeah. I don't I'll know. live with my family in a huge mansion if you get, you get your own wing. Yeah. Mine. You get yours. I'll take mine. It's fine. I mean, she was uh, um, more what's the word stubborn independent than that so a life of submissive dependency did not really interest her shocker she was already pretty radical by now thanks to her reading and her education (coughs) weird Um, and also what was going on in the world you know everything was in turmoil and she saw it for what it was she saw what was going on for what it was and her uncle, bullshit? yeah, bullshit. Her uncle was a royalist, so he was pretty uh, loyal to the Spanish government, and they did not see eye to eye. Right. But he, I get the sense from what I read that he didn't really think that her um, beliefs were that big of a threat to to him and to what they the, never do. They never do. 
Um, so yeah, he didn't really take her all that seriously. You know, she was a woman. There wasn't much she could do. The government had bigger issues, like whatever. Early in 1808, Napoleon Bonaparte occupied Spain and deposed King Charles III. Mm -hmm. When Napoleon installed his brother, Joseph, on the Spanish throne, all of the Spanish colonies were thrown into turmoil. Mm. In many colonial cities, the Criollos seized the opportunity to establish a Congress, which they hoped would eventually be the vehicle for separation from Spain. In Mexico, Viceroy Itura Geray, we'll go with that, an undistinguished and corrupt executive, gave in to the demands... Undistinguished and corrupt. According to encyclopedia.com, uh, gave in to the demands of the Criollos for a national congress, which native-born Mexicans would clearly dominate. Yeah, duh. Yeah. In Mexico, in 1808, there were only some 70,000 Spanish-born... Spaniards out of a total population of about 7 million. So it was like they were in charge, but not representative of the population at all. I mean, that's just common throughout history. Mm -hmm. So to prevent the Congress from meeting in Mexico City, on the night of September 16th, haha, Deanna's birthday, 1808, some 300 well-armed Spaniards deposed the Viceroy and imprisoned the most prominent advocates of that National Congress. Mm. For the next 12 years, Mexico was to endure harsh military rule and a bloody revolution, mm -hmm. as we know, which took the lives of over 500,000 Mexicans. Wow, I didn't know that number was that high. I didn't either, which is why it felt necessary to include, um, even though obviously that takes place over a 12-year span, and her story... That's still a lot. Yeah. The chunk of her story, of her of her revolutionary story, takes place within the first part of that. Mm. So, yeah. So, around the beginning of this, Leona was... Uh, she won a court battle to reside in her own property with her own residential staff. What? She basically she was like... She won a court battle to live in her own house. Yeah. So, she was... Sweet. She, she, her uncle had bought that mansion and he was like, hey, you live over on this side and my family and I will live over here and I will and be your guardian. And royalist and yeah. And she was like, nah, I'm going well, he to. He was also Criollo, wasn't he? Presumably if he was related to her mother. I believe so. But that, you know, That's he was true. still Spanish born. Like he wasn't. I know there were a lot of uh, uh, American born Tories during mm -hmm. the American Revolution. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, just family. He probably had a lot of family still in Spain. Mm. Um, but yeah, she was like, fuck that. I don't really want to live in the same house with you. So she went to court and got herself basically separated. I see. Okay. So her uncle countered by buying a property adjacent to hers. <laughs> okay. And apparently he had the power to arrange for her immediate engagement to, yeah, <laughs> to a man named Octaviano Obregón, a colonel in the Spanish army and an attorney working for her uncle's firm. Because he was her guardian? Uh-huh. Gross. Yep. Even at 18. How crazy is that? It's because she would have had to be married in order to women. be transferred into someone else's guardianship. Yeah. Mm, this was long before last week. Uh, the <laughs> yeah. La where in the, at the turn of the century, she was like, marriage is kind of weird, right? Right. Yeah. This is the beginning of the 1800s instead of the 1900s. <laughs> and it's like, if and you're then, a woman, you're just owned for your whole life. And it just depends who owns you. Your husband much. or your guardian or your father. Yes. Male guardian. Yep. She um, evaded any form of ma actual marital commitment to Obregon. He lied. <laughs> She's like, oh, sure, I'll marry that guy. But, like, I'm going to make sure that I don't have to actually do that. I'm just going to appease you, Uncle Augustine. Like, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, well, for her uncle anyway, she <laughs> soon met Andres Quintana Rue who was a gifted poet, a writer, and a law student from the Yucatan who was working also for her uncle's firm. Ooh. So he came and worked in her uncle's firm, and he met Leona, and they were both like, oh, hey, hey, you. Like, I see you're you across the hall. You're a writer, poet, lawyer? Yeah. Oh, you're kind of hot. Like, yep. you're maybe a little radical. I'm also a little radical. Maybe we should flirt Sounds a little. Sounds like a match. So, Yeah. Under, uh, or no, by 1810, he had come under the wing of her uncle Augustin in Mexico City. And as his legal assistant, Quintana Roo saw a great deal of her, which distressed her uncle. I love this. I know. 
Um, and it was especially distressing because obviously they shared similar troubling, quote unquote, values. <laughs> so fire him. Like, yeah. what? So instead of doing that, he just kind of like let it go on. It's like, stop talking to her. Yeah. No. But, and he goes, no. Nah. Nah, nah, bruh. I'm going to hang out until 1812 when the independence movement takes me to Western Mexico. Ooh. So Quintana Roo left to Western Mexico for the revolutionary movement. Did she follow him? She did not. Oh, okay. But. She didn't have to, but, you know, I love a good romantic story sometimes. This story's very romantic, I'll just say. Okay. So while her uncle, Augustin, was fulminating against the rebellion, because he was a royalist, uh, his cousin, Juan Batista Raz y Guzman was leading the Guadalupes, which was a secret revolutionary society. And Ooh, these royalists were surrounded. Uh-huh. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So her uncle's like her her uncle's family members were all sort of like in this revolution and he just didn't know. Poor guy. <laughs> um and Leona was secretly financing this secret society. Oh fuck yes. Yes. Um, the society engaged in espionage and transmitted information on troop movements to the badly outnumbered insurgents. Um, through the society, Leona supplied the insurgent leader, Rayon, not only with monetary aid, but with a printing press. Which was great. Yes. Um, because until that point, the insurgents had lacked the means to counter royalist propaganda. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and three female relatives of Leona were able to get the press out of Mexico City by concealing it in their coach. And the women were chosen because they were women and nobody was going to stop a bunch of women in their coach thinking that they were uh, revolutionaries. Because they were like, women can't be revolutionaries. They don't have the brains. Yeah. So they just went on. They left Mexico City and they took the printing press to Western Mexico. Yeah. Uh, later in 1813, when Vicario fled the capital to join the insurgents, she took with her printer's ink and other accessories for the press so that they could maintain their uh, propaganda slash pamphlets slash journals slash blah, blah, blah. Like you do. Like you do. But before that, she furthered her commitment by directly buying arms and acquiring raw materials to make cannons and artillery. Whoa. Yeah. She like... Went balls to the wall with this. Yeah, clearly. She arranged the purchase and shipment of medicines to Veracruz. She secretly transported them to Peninsular's neighborhoods in Mexico City, where she also hid revolutionary compatriots. Nice. So someone estimated that she probably spent about $85,000 U.S. at the time, which now would be about $1.5 million. No fucking way. Yes. So much money. Yeah. So she was. Someone give me that money. <laughs> I know. I JK, know. JK, JK. I, I mean, mean, not really, but. You know. So yeah, she was like all in. Um, Clearly. Yeah. So not content as a provocateur and arms dealer, Leona then teamed with Quintana Roo to perfect her journalistic prose and oh. write. Yeah, and write articles, which they would then print on their printing press. Um, Her revolutionary networks then distributed those leaflets, informing the public of Spanish atrocities toward native and mestizo civilians. Fuck yeah. Crimes associated with the established social caste system and the need to obtain self-rule independent of Spain. Good. She's being intersectional. Yep. Yes, ma'am. That's great. All of this was done clandestinely from her mansion in Mexico City. Yeah. And there is no evidence that her uncle ever suspected her of revolutionary activity. Because he he just couldn't fathom that she could be Mm -hmm. heading this up herself. Yeah. Great. Poor dude. But. You look like a fucking idiot. Yeah. And and that became clear in 1813. History has proven you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. Because she, her correspondences to Andres Quintana Roo and her revolutionary network was intercepted by Spanish royalists. No! Yes. On learning of the fact that she was 
in danger, she left Mexico City in the company of three female companions under the guise of having a, like, country picnic. So they would let her go. Cute. Um, and upon learning of her escape, the court confiscated all of her properties, her bank assets, and they were convinced that a life without any of her money would be enough to make her go, please, to give me my things back. Like, I want to tell you everything. Money is the most important thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I will give everything up for money. Mm-hmm. I have no sense of values that I would stick to more. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. was what they hoped. Because uh, she's a silly, flighty woman. Yep. Yep. So for the next 10 days, uh, Vicario endured the first physical hardships she had ever experienced in her life. She was ill due to exposure, lack of food, and polluted water. Um, and she was finally persuaded by her anguished uncle to return to Mexico and accept a royal pardon. The authorities assured him that his niece would would return to her house, that they would allow that, and that she would not be harassed. And of course, they were fucking lying. Uh, so when she got back, they took and her. And of course, they were fucking lying. That was good editorializing there. Thank you. When she got back, they took her to the convent of Belen, where for weeks she was interrogated relentlessly about her pro-insurgent activities. And there's there was some implication that she was potentially tortured during this time, like Yikes. physically tortured. But she never gave anything up. She pretty much was constantly what? like, it's just me. I'm the only one. I have no network of revolutionaries. I have nothing. Like, it's literally just me. Wow. And informed of her situation in April of 1813, Rayon, the leader of the revolutionaries, dispatched three insurgent officers to Mexico City to enter the Mexican convent uh, through a ruse and free her from her captors. So they basically... I love they, that this isn't the first story of springing someone from a convent that we've <laughs> had know. on this podcast. Oh my God, that's so true. Like, we have a lot of freeing somebody from convents. Convents are prisons. And this one literally was a prison. 100%. You know. So, yeah. So he basically sent some revolutionaries in disguised as officers. I love it. And they sprung her. This is romantic. And it gets more romantic because they spirited her out of this prison to Western Mexico, where she joined um, one of her family members who poor her, her poor uncle didn't know was a revolutionary, but was. Because he's her, a fucking idiot. Because he's an already idiot. addressed. Um, and Andres Quintana Roo, whom she finally married. Yay! <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm basic. But, I uh, love it. It's so cinematic, right? That yes. they like fell in love. Again, for the millionth <laughs> time on this podcast, where is this movie? It's, Where's this movie? This movie would be so epic. It would be so epic. Like they fell in love, became revolutionaries, corresponded via like, you know, um, secret post and they passed along secret messages and then they finally got together after her stint in the pokey. So four years later, uh, they were both arrested. Yes. Yep. yep. Romantic. Yep. But Although did it end poorly? No, thankfully. Oh, they sure. were immediately granted amnesty from the Spanish royalists um, and independence. Where's this movie? Sorry. I don't know. In fact, maybe there is one, but maybe it's in Spanish. I mean, that would make sense. Yeah. But they were, uh, uh, sorry, independence was finally achieved in 1821. And in 1823, the newly formed Mexican Congress rewarded Leona Vicario for her numerous sacrifices on behalf of the nation of Mexico. Um, She was given an estate and several houses in Mexico City (laughs) and a cash settlement for the total loss of her fortune in the service of her country. Wow. She spent the rest of her life out of the public eye, raising her two daughters with Andres. Uh, Presumably to be radical, independent. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And he served successively as the undersecretary of state, a member of Congress. Holy shit. Government mediator. And finally, justice of the Mexican Supreme Court. What the fuck? I know. Okay. I know. Um, By the time of her death in August of 1842, I do not know how she died, she was widely revered as the, quote, strong woman of Mexican independence. There was an enormous funeral procession to the cemetery of uh, Nuestra Señora de los Ángeles in Mexico City. 
She is the only woman who has received a Mexican state funeral. Still? As of the encyclopedia.com article, which I assume is recent-ish. Cool. Nine years after her death, her husband was laid to rest at her side. In 1910, their ashes were interred in the Independence Column on the broad avenue of the Reforma in Mexico City, joining the remains of other outstanding heroes in Mexican independence. Wow. I know. I know. And fun fact, there is a Mexican state of Quintana Roo, and there is a town within Quintana Roo called Leona Vicario. This is exactly what I needed to know. Because as... as stupid as it makes me seem sharing a birthday with Mexican Independence Mm. Day I don't know much about it because we're just not taught it in schools and I just haven't invested time in looking even though I've always known that my birthday is Mexican Independence Day well yeah I mean and like you said we're not taught it in schools it doesn't I think when you're not even taught something or even it's not it's not even brought up you don't think to go looking for it not always no you know, and we don't make movies about it here in the United States. So if we did want to see films about it or TV about it, we would have to seek it outside of our own country. And that is sometimes harder. Thankfully, with Netflix and Hulu and things like that, it's a little bit easier. But, yeah, right. you know, it wasn't necessarily when we were in high school. So certainly not. Yeah. I mean, it, it is. um it's a story that I feel like only seems obvious once you hear it. But until you go looking for it, you wouldn't know to yeah. go looking for it. But, but I, she was incredible. But I needed it. Yeah, she I fucking mean, was god. Yeah, to to both finance the revolution and also bodily fight for it. That's rare, I feel. Mm-hmm. It's either you're a behind the scenes financier or you're on the front lines and she fucking did both. Yeah. Yep. Damn. Really, really incredible woman. So, yeah, that's Leona Vicario. That's a cool name, too. Leona Vicario. Like, that's a... I know. And it was funny when I I found an article about her that that mentioned her. And so I was like, who's that? And I went looking for her and thought her story was super interesting. And then I started Googling and found only travel info. And I was like, what the fuck? And realized it's because there is a town named after her, a city named after her in Quintana Roo. And so, you know... Most people wow. traveling to Leona Vicario wouldn't necessarily know why it's named that way, but it's named for Mexico's, you know, mother of the independence. Wow. That was awesome. Thank you. I thought so, too. And and a good way to um, somewhat close out, I think, Hispanic Heritage Month. You know? For the year, yeah. For the year. For this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll obviously um, talk about women of latinx slash hispanic heritage at some point no we can only talk about them during latinx heritage month that's Uh, it that's it jk but you know for for the specific reason yeah no that yes yeah so yeah i thought that i thought she was a good one to end on because she's so specifically entwined with mexican independence yeah yeah i'm i'm really glad that that that's the the end cap honestly when, when you opened and you were like oh wait no you can do one more you can do one more and i was like oh i would happily do one more but can i follow that i don't think so <laughs> well i am glad that you enjoyed her because i i really love that story and please if you're a filmmaker listening to this podcast for the bajillionth make, time make the english language version <laughs> of this so americans can see it please for the love of god are you ready for some on this day i'm always ready in history all yes. right It is October 9th, and on this day, 1781, Americans under George Washington and the French under Comte de Rochambeau begin the bombardment of Yorktown, which is the last battle of the American Revolutionary War. Yes, it is. Yes, ma'am. Comte. Comte. Uh, 1936, the Hoover Dam begins creating hydroelectric power which it sends over transmission lines spanning 266 miles of mountains and deserts to run the lights, radios, and stoves of Los Angeles. Wasn't the Hoover Dam, wasn't that a New Deal project? Yes, I think. 1936, that would make sense. Yeah, I I believe it was, yeah. Mm. Um, 
1941, U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt approves an atomic program that would become the Manhattan Project. Yikes. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep, yep. Gave a lot of people jobs, though. Uh, for fucked up purposes. Indeed. Ooh. Ooh. I hate it. Um, this one's, uh, uh, yeah, interesting. 1967, Che Guevara, revolutionary and former right-hand man to Cuban premier Fidel Castro, was executed today for attempting to organize a revolution in Bolivia. Huh, fascinating. Yep. yep. Uh, I just thought you would like this. 1986, Phantom of the Opera premieres in London. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like this. That was like a very guttural <laughs> laugh that came out of me. But yes, no, I do like that. All right, good, good. We should um, go like on a podcast field trip to see Phantom here in the city because okay. it's been on Broadway for so long, clearly. 1986. I thought that was London, but still, but it's been on it forever. It was the 80s, I think, when it came here. Yeah. Still. Yeah, it was kind of a, a like pretty instant success, I feel. Yeah. If I remember correctly. Uh, uh 1986. Okay. The Late Show with Joan Rivers premieres on Fox, making her the first woman to host a US late night TV talk show. I've been seeing ads for uh uh, uh Lily Singh's Lily show. Lily Singh. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious about her because she came up through like social media. YouTube. Really. She's a YouTuber. YouTube. Okay. Which, you know, honest like my first reaction is to roll my eyes, but I yeah. think her show sounds cool. Mhm. And I'm absolutely like, all for like especially on network TV. Uh-huh. Having a female late night host. What other fucking female late night host can I think of besides Chelsea Handler who's not even on network TV? None. Samantha B, who's also not on network TV? Not network TV, and that's more of like a, a political show. Mm-hmm. It's not like a, a chat show. It's it's like right. the Daily Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It in is. the sense that, yeah, guests come on and talk, but... But mm, it's specific. But it, and, and she's a woman of color. Yeah. So it's about time. It's crazy. Um, 2001. <laughs> I just thought this was kind of funny. Maybe just because I lived through it. The second mailing of the anthrax letters... From Trenton, New Jersey. Yep. I know. Maybe not funny, but just like, whoa. Funny, weird, not funny. Ha ha. I learned that distinction from Earthworm Jim in the 90s. Earthworm Jim? Yeah, did I just take you right back? Oh, my God. Does anyone know about Earthworm Jim? If you do, please find us on social and say, yes. Because that was an actual line where he's like, that's kind of funny. Funny, weird, not funny. Ha ha. And I was like, that's good. That's good. It's good. It's good. I'll write that down for when I'm 2012. A little bit of a bummer, but not too bad because she's still alive. Women's rights and education activist Malala Yousafzai. Yousafzai. Yousafzai, thank you, is shot three times by a Taliban gunman as she tried to board her school bus. Yeah, she wanted to to get some education, and so she that warranted her dying. Mm -hmm. But she didn't die, and now she's a Nobel Prize winner. Fucking right. (laughs) Yep. And still encourages education for girls throughout the world. Yep. That was the only reason I felt like I could include that. 2017, Harvey Weinstein is fired from the Weinstein Company after allegations of sexual abuse. Fucking finally. Yep. And um, lastly, John Lennon was born today in 1940. He was a real terrible father. Yeah. As I learned from you wrong about. I know. He I was, was like a ben garbage father and yeah, husband. He was kind of a terrible person, but um, yeah. But, but promoted a lot of cool ideas. If you guys want to know which episode we're talking about, it's a podcast called You're, You're wrong, wrong About. And the episode is about Yoko Ono. Yeah, because everybody's wrong about Yoko Ono and her Correct. role and in breaking up the Beatles, which isn't what happened. Yeah. And uh, it's a very good yeah. podcast. It's very much worth your time, worth listening to. Yeah, but uh, John Lennon was a, a young man who had lots of father issues himself and subsequently became a terrible father <laughs> to his first son, Julian, oh. who inspired the song Hey Jude, because Paul McCartney wrote that called Hey Jules. Yep. When John Lennon left his first wife, his first wife, and abandoned his son. Yeah, ah, okay. super fun when you know the context. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's worth you know. But noting. anyway, I know you've promoted your wrong about on this podcast before. Have but I? Yes. Oh, okay, good. But you should listen to it. It's that great. is a very good episode. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the reasons I'm glad that we end with things we're excited about because I feel like sometimes on this day in history is... Can be a little depressing. 
So tell me what you're excited about. I honestly don't know. <gasps> um, <laughs> figure it out. I will. I'll figure it out. I, do, I, I always forget this. Bat cups. It's the 9th. So what's happening around the 9th? No, let me just say what I'm excited about. And this has been happening for a few weeks. Okay. Target Halloween decorations. Very yes. simple thing to be excited about. No, it's but my they're life. they're cheap. They're great. And just go to the Halloweens. This year they have like a skeleton DJ <gasps> that you can buy. Very expensive. But you could buy him. Um, I'm so into that. Right. They have the best. I, they, I have... Um, this this uh, new friend that I've been making recently who she like posted this meme about how it's like, yes, I go to the Target Halloween section to buy Halloween decorations and not my just everyday decor. What do you? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I feel that deep in my soul. Oh, God, I know. But we have so many Target Halloween things that we still use. And God, I wish we were getting paid by Target to say this. Target, pay us. Pay us. Because we will promote the shit out of your Halloween shit. We mean it legitimately. Oh. I mean, because we it's still, affordable. Yeah. We're drinking out of Target Halloween cups right now. They're the best. And they were $3 a piece. Mine has a bat. Mine has a spider. It's, it's so good. It's so good. I still have um, hand towels with skeletons embroidered on them that I use. I just bought this year. I just bought Halloween hand towels that yes. are in our kitchen right yes. now from Target. I bought them just recently. Oh, God damn it. I'm so excited. I really wish we were making money for this. <laughs> this is like a free ad for Target. But I'm. I pr I'm excited about it. So. Oh man, you guys! If you um, <laughs> if you hear of Target wanting to sponsor some podcasts, send them our way. We're even ready. Just, even just like a one-time, like even just a one-time, like they want to yeah. donate to our Ko-Fi, then that'd be great. We're and we can into talk that. about it. For this podcast, absolutely. So we can Target, rent out a, like a recording space that's soundproof. <laughs> We don't need to, but we could. So that's our next mission is to get Target sponsorship. Just just at Target on social media uh -huh. for us. Tell them to, to come our way because help us out, guys. All right. Well, I'm very excited about Target things. Target Halloween section. <laughs> and um, and then otherwise, I think we're, we're going to have to have a discussion about what our October slash Halloween themed yeah. people are going to be, but we'll be back to you yeah. next week or next time with um, some Halloween themed yeah. Ooh, which people. Which reminds me, I got to show you the Halloween costume I bought. Yes, you do. Okay. All right, let's go do that. Okay. Show me your Halloween stuff. Yep. And uh, in the meantime, peace out, witches. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce.